It's been a few weeks since our final pre-launch episode. If you're new to this podcast, I recommend you listen to all of the previous episodes this season, starting with the prologue. They're available in your feed wherever you get your podcasts. This story started with a group of ordinary people watching a launch, and it ends with the launch of those very same people. Inspiration 4 is the first all-civilian mission to orbit. Go, 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 go. Go, go, go. I'm going to take you to Pad 39A at Kennedy Space Center, the famous site of rocket launches to the moon and space shuttle missions where this crew took flight from. You'll hear how the launch played out inside of SpaceX headquarters, but also what it was like on the ground. You'll hear what the crew told me after their return. And you'll hear why this mission matters for all of us who want to understand our future in space. I'm Miriam Kramer. From Axios, this is How It Happened, The Next Astronauts. Part five, the launch. The day before the launch, I was one of a few journalists allowed into a press conference with the crew on site at Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida. On the bus to the presser, no one really knew what was going on. It was SpaceX's first ever private crew and only their fourth crewed launch. Their growing pains were apparent. It was hot and sweaty inside the hangar where SpaceX held the briefing. The press was physically separated from the crew once they came in and took their seats. It was weird for me to encounter them like this. I had gotten to know these people over the course of months on weekly phone calls. I'd met their families. I'd even been inside of Jared's home in New York. But now, on the eve of their launch, I was looking at them from a distance. And I realized that everything was about to change for them. And in some ways, it already had. Hi. Uh, Miriam Kramer with Axios. Good to see you guys. I had to peer around cameras to try to make eye contact. I, I wonder, like, if you guys could reflect a little bit on how much things have changed for you and just sort of even emotionally, like, what it feels like now versus then. Jared Isaacman, Doing an commander like, for the One of the questions was, um, you know, what have you really missed out on as you've gone through training? And the answer is, like, reflection. <laughs> We've just been going supersonic. It's just been super Haley Arsenault. Inspiration 4's medical officer. Almost kind of abstract. And now, I mean, our rocket is behind us, and we're going in about 27 hours or so. Then Cyan Proctor, the mission's Every day pilot. has been the best day of my life, and it's only getting better. <laughs> mission specialist Chris Zimbrowski went last. I uh, had no idea what we would be really in for when we started out. I'm excited to take every one of you up with us. What struck me most in their answers was how professional they all were. Unlike the unguarded moments of our interviews over the months, they sounded very much aware that the eyes of the world were on them. They were polished. They seemed media trained. They acted like astronauts. I've been a space reporter for close to 10 years. But until last year, I didn't have an opportunity to see a human launch from the U.S. I've only ever seen cargo, satellites, some mice. But that's about it in terms of what I've seen in person. I have watched live streams of other launches with people, which left from other countries. But I had never personally known a person going to space. This time, I did. 
I knew four of them. With cargo launches, I feel a twinge of anxiety. But with human launches, with a crude launch, those nerves are on a whole different level for me. When I go to launches, I get superstitious. I have to drive myself to Kennedy. I sit in the same seat when covering the launch from the press room. And I need to be outside to watch the launch live at least 15 minutes before T0. The afternoon of the launch, my producers and I drive into Kennedy. I sit in my usual seat, where generations of space reporters have covered NASA launches. We settle in, facing two TV screens that feature live coverage from SpaceX of the countdown to launch. One of the first things they showed was the crew walking past a throng of supporters to a small crowd of their relatives, Elon Musk and his family. I just thought it was over the top. (laughs) I'm not a big fan of the kind of look at me moments. And that's what that walkout felt like. I saw a tender moment in the live stream of this event, one that seemed intimate, except that so many people were bearing witness. Jared picks up one of his daughters while the other hugs his leg. After he gets into the car, a white Tesla, that will take him to the launch pad, he and Monica, his wife, embrace through the window. It was being in the Teslas, that was where I think we were all looking out and, and knowing that everything is about to change in just a few short hours. We race outside to catch them going by. So we are running through the parking lot of the press site because um, the crew is about to drive by in their Teslas on their way to getting, suiting up, suiting up ahead of launch. Sorry, pretty out of breath. <laughs> As they pass us, Jared and Chris have their windows down and they're waving. It's one of the last times they'll breathe fresh air for a few days. A helicopter chasing us overhead, waving to folks as we go by because they're all there to support us. Like Haley and Cyan are in the first car, and then Jared and Chris are in the second. Back in the press room, reporters start to break fun pieces of news, not really hard-hitting scoops. So the crew put together a Spotify playlist for their time in orbit, and I mean... There are a variety of different genres and songs on this list. The one that got me laughing is Higher by Creed. This Spotify playlist detail may sound goofy, but it shows how different space travel is already. NASA astronauts had wake-up songs that offered a hint of their taste and preferences, which the public ate up, because they were seen as celebrities in their own right. But the Inspiration4 crew wasn't just hinting at their personal taste with this playlist. They were acting the part of tastemakers. They were designing a soundtrack of their adventure for their followers, literal followers, on social media. And yet, as we were getting these tidbits, we found out that there would be no media calls during orbit. It was like a layer of transparency I was used to with NASA was being taken away. Meanwhile, the launch clock on the TV screen continued to count down. The crew was getting closer and closer to liftoff. You make that last phone call before you go and get into the capsule. And it's from the historic phone. Um, You know, the Apollo astronauts made their last phone calls there, too. Cyan Proctor reflecting recently on the mission. It's this kind of dinosaur phone, push button. They help you make this call from. And then you, you go up and you, you basically walk the plank. 
there's this closeout team waiting for you, the SpaceX ninjas, all in black, and you're in your beautiful white spacesuit, and they help you get into the capsule.、Uh, on the right-hand side of your screen, there is the Inspiration Four crew. They are in their seats. SpaceX, stand by for transition to pad hatch closed. Please ensure that all items are secure from now through launch. Sarah Gillis, their trainer at SpaceX, had spent hours and hours with them. Now she's the voice walking them through launch. Chris Sembrowski reflected on the moment they heard Sarah speak to them while they were awaiting launch. Sarah Gillis said some parting words that just totally destroyed the moment. She said, "It's been a pleasure and an honor to work with us and train us as a crew." And God, this is someone who's really wishing her students well. Off on a not risk-free mission. The hatch closed. There on your screen, we can see the、uh, pad closeout team closing the side hatch. Their seats are rotated back. The famous lean back. <laughs> When you step outside of the press building, you see a large bay separating you from pad 39A, where the crew is positioned on top of their Falcon 9 rocket, awaiting launch. There's a huge countdown clock on the lawn near the bay. I mean, the weather's amazing. For you know, Florida in September, sky is blue. A few patches of clouds in the sky. It's, it's about as good as you could hope for. And if I'm this nervous, I can't imagine the, how their significant others are really feeling right at this moment. As the 8:02 p.m. launch neared, it started to get dark. So LES arming is one of the most noticeable steps in the pre-launch process. The LES, the launch escape system, it's basically an abort system in case there's a rocket failure. Engaging it means it's not a drill. It's a slam, and it's audible. You can feel it. And basically, once it's done, if something didn't pop off, then it's probably okay. <laughs> and then you just it re- immediately rolls into prop. You're feeling the grumbling. And hearing it as propellants being loaded, and valves are opening and closing, and venting's happening, you, you feel and hear everything. The dragon's coming alive, but it's kind of creaking and moaning as the pipes are being filled. It's like the rocket, the Falcon, starting to breathe. That dragon starting to react. Everything was going very, very slow until the last ten minutes, when we make a call that our displays are configured for launch, and that's letting everybody know we're we're configured and ready. And then you just watch that countdown clock, and it's just moving super fast. Dragon, SpaceX, confirm crew displays are configured for launch. SpaceX, Dragon, our displays are configured for launch. Copy that, Dragon. It's like nine and a half minutes until launch. I'm freaking out. At that point, is I just focus on what I'm supposed to be doing. Jared was taking over, and like right before we launched, I just remember he he said, "All right, we're doing this." It's so serene. It's it's a wildlife refuge. Like it, there's just you know I mean there are bugs all over the place, but it's like a beautiful body of water. It's totally calm. You don't really hear anything. And then in just a few minutes, the whole sky is gonna light up, and you're gonna hear the roar of a rocket. I mean, it's like the the, the juxtaposition of those two things is really extreme and interesting. Night launches are special. The sky goes from perfectly dark to suddenly brilliantly bright in less than a second. I knew it was going to get darker, kind of like the Fourth of July fireworks show, where you know the lights go down, everybody's getting excited. I just kept thinking over and over, "Let's do this! Let's do this! Let's effing do this!" 
getting ready for launch. Waiting for the startup call at T-minus one minute. Inspiration four is go for launch. Punch it, SpaceX. Commander calling down. Seconds. Punch it, SpaceX. T-minus 15 seconds. Pad is all lit up. It's very dramatic. It's very pretty. Before you know it, it's final countdown. You know, you're sitting there and you just hear this, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to space. Three, two, one, and the ignition. The countdown on the live stream was hard to hear because SpaceX employees in California were surrounding mission control, cheering. Okay. Oh my God. Go, 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 go. Go, go, go. On the way uphill, you feel everything, like all the throttle ups and throttle downs on the first stage. You're very aware, even without this situational awareness that the screens provide. You feel that acceleration start almost instantaneously as, as soon as the Falcon's released from the pad. It's like, oh my goodness. We're through the period of maximum dynamic pressure. We throttle back up and one Bravo, the call out from space. That's one of the abort sequences. That is a nominal call. Everything continues to be good. That was first stage. Major event coming up will be main engine cutoff, followed by stage separation, looking at the second stage engine nozzle, and then ignition of the second stage. We're at stage separation and um, and hanging in our straps. That was probably just the most, I would say, intense feeling. Now there's second stage, there goes. A second stage, that's so cool. <laughs> oh my God, I've never seen that before. Holy shit. Look at jellyfish, that's right. So that, that is second stage. I've, I've never, I've only seen photos of this. From there, it's a little bit more of a rumble it's uh, you're closer to the engine, you know, crew one described it as driving a pickup truck down a bumpy road. On the, the second stage, it was, I guess, a little bit bumpier, but it still was like incredibly smooth. I was thinking like I could do this any day, just like I could launch any day. Anybody could launch. We're really up there now, well past 100 kilometers. We saw some uh, teammate fist bumps going on there inside <laughs> of the cabin. <laughs> Jared, Haley, Chris, and Cyan are now officially in orbit. Over the next 45 minutes, they'll reach their cruising orbit and spend the next three days orbiting planet Earth. Then the broadcast ends and you're like, okay, what's the next steps? Let's get down to business. We're now on orbit. You're hanging weightless, being held into your seat by your straps and you're floating. I just remember feeling like it was the strangest sensation. And I said, guys, this feels really weird. I noticed that my hands, I was like, oh, my hands just kind of can sit here and float up. And I just said, oh my gosh, there's the earth. Like we could like finally see it. 
I just kind of leaned over and looked. It looked like what you thought it would look like. It's that big glowing, you know, blue ball of Earth. I realized I wouldn't be able to ask them in real time about what it's like to be up there. And I started to think back to what they each had told me about why they took this opportunity and this risk in the first place. Back in June, I spoke to Jared about his motivations for putting this mission together. I have some obligation if you're making investments in tomorrow to not ignore the problems of today. You should leave the world a better place than, than you find it. But even back then, Jared had tempered his idealism about Inspiration4 with some skepticism. It might not be remembered much at all, actually. I mean, it's, I think it was always about opening the door for all the really exciting missions to follow. It would be remembered, at least if you watched cable news or the Inspiration4 Netflix documentary. Even though we've seen images like this before, we've never seen a crew like this before. Jared was right in a sense about the rest. The mission showed that private flights to space can redefine who is considered fit for spaceflight and what it means to be an astronaut in the process. But Inspiration4 may not really be the model for the future of civilian spaceflight. First, because most people could not take on the kind of training this crew did, but also because it didn't do much to change the actual cost of going. Jared just covered it for three other people who couldn't have afforded it otherwise. That extraordinary moment, and not to say that I won't have more extraordinary moments, but this one allowed me to say, okay, you did it, you're in the history books. What Jared made possible for them, and what it was actually like in space, when we come back in a moment. We're back. If you remember the Crew 2 launch in Episode 1, NASA actually live-streamed much of the crew's trip through space until their arrival on the International Space Station. For Inspiration4, SpaceX didn't keep us abreast in the same way. I had to rely on the company's Twitter account to hear about how the crew was doing. And I started to wonder, if something went wrong on this mission, would SpaceX even tell us? A lot of this, it turns out, was logistical. Because Inspiration4 was privately funded and a purely commercial mission, they didn't have access to the same robust technology SpaceX uses during NASA missions to communicate. We had no ground station coverage um, at all. This was a, a commercial mission. This was not a government mission. It was basically like, hey, you, you guys are guests right now. But despite those challenges, the crew still managed to speak to some people on the ground. They chatted with Tom Cruise, who's been rumored to want to film a movie in space. You know, my number one song on my Spotify playlist was It's a Beautiful Day. And luckily, Haley also likes you too and loves that song. So we had that as our pad drive up song, A Beautiful Day. We got three calls that we could make. And I'm like, well, shoot, out of those three calls, I only want to call my siblings once. <laughs> like, if you let me call people from space, I want to talk to Bono from you too. They also talked to Bono. The air of celebrity I started to notice in Montana at one of their last training events felt like it was rapidly blossoming. The mission had been a fundraiser for St. Jude from the beginning, so they also gave patients at St. Jude a tour of space. But just getting to, to hear their sweet little questions and to tell them 
that they can do this too. That was really one of the highlights of my entire life. Cyan answered a question a patient asked about cows on the moon. You know, I I hope there will be one day. <laughs> but now, no, there aren't. But I always heard the moon was made if you like the cartoon Wallace and Gromit. Finally, SpaceX hosted a live stream tour of the capsule. It wasn't a media event, but it was something. Jared mostly emceed the event. Copy that, SpaceX. Welcome, everybody, to Crew Dragon Resilience. We want to take you up into the cupola so you can see the largest continuous window ever flown in space and the views that it affords. This is kind of one of my regrets. I probably logged the least amount of time in the cupola, least amount of window time. I loved it. My favorite by far was the moonrise, for sure. Cyan showed off some of the art she made. Haley did some weightless acrobatics. At one point, Chris broke out a ukulele. I can play a little for you, but uh, you know, you can turn your volume down if you wish, but uh, I'll give it a shot. The live stream from space felt very familiar. It was reminiscent of the broadcast that Apollo astronauts would do when they went to the moon. Okay, uh, Jack, I'm looking out the uh, right window now, and uh, not too far off in the distance now, you can see the, uh, the objective. For the three days the Inspiration4 crew was up there, my thoughts would occasionally wander to their families and how they were feeling. I knew their lives were on hold until their loved ones were back on the ground safely. Three days after the crew launch, SpaceX aired a live stream as the crew started to come back to Earth for their splashdown in the Atlantic. From the capsule, you could hear Jared signal down to SpaceX that the crew was ready for the most harrowing minutes of their journey back through Earth's atmosphere. Tablets are secure. Restraints are tight and visors are down. We are ready to come home. When a Dragon capsule comes back through the atmosphere, it heats up to about 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Re-entry under such extreme heat is the riskiest part about returning to Earth. Everyone thinks that launch is the scary part, but really with launch, we had so many safety nets. With re-entry, there was just more that was out of our control. You're like, am I going to make it? Because this is a moment where I could also die um, in multiple ways. On the way down, the thermal protection system and heat shield, it just has to work. There's nothing you can do about it at all. When that's happening and plasma is building up around the Dragon, the crew can't communicate with the ground and SpaceX can't communicate with the crew. This comms blackout is anxiety-inducing. We copy all, Dragon. Approximately four minutes, 30 seconds until comm blackout. We'll see you on the other side at 2300. Talk to you at 2300. I feel like I'm sort of in suspended animation during those minutes. With a launch, you can see if something goes wrong. With a comms blackout, you're just holding your breath, waiting for them to radio in. First, we see them. This is the first shot of the Dragon (laughs) capsule coming back. The capsule, hurtling back to Earth, appears again on the live stream. Uh, We should be getting comms reestablished with the crew here shortly. And then we hear them. Nominal altitude for drug sheet deploy. Captain at SpaceX, we show the same. The parachutes deployed. Jared kind of said, don't celebrate the first set of parachutes, celebrate the second set. Hearing it. Two, two. 
feeling goes to play. And then an even greater sigh of relief. When the second set came out and we had four healthy main parachutes, we just screamed. We were so excited. It, it was beautiful to the point where Jared's like, get a photo of that. That's amazing. It's the prettiest thing because just this view of our, our mains open, you know that when you splash down, you're going to survive. 400. Copy 400. Jared was calling out their altitude. 200, we're bracing. 200. When they were in orbit, they were traveling more than 17,000 miles per hour. By the time the capsule gently settled on the surface of the Atlantic, it was going just 15 miles per hour. I was so happy. I was like, woohoo! <laughs> we are down, folks. We are down. I'll never forget when Jared said on the radio, Mission Complete, Inspiration for Mission Complete. There was something Jared told me when he got back that really struck me and reminded me of the sweeping goals he had going into this. He had made it to space and also met the $200 million fundraising goal for St. Jude. But it seemed like it wasn't enough. And even in space, looking out at our planet and watching the moon rise, he knew there was still more to do. I think that I had... Um maybe a little bit of an opposite reaction that most people have with the overview effect, seeing the world without borders, seeing fires and lightning and how it looks like the world is very fragile. That's all true. When I saw the, the moon rise, it was an excitement and a frustration at the same time. It just seems so obvious to me that throughout human history, we've wanted to, to cross the seas, the oceans, climb the mountains, explore and learn what we don't know. And yet we've made what feels like so little progress um, in trying to understand it. The first question I asked at the beginning of the story was, can these four ordinary people successfully complete this mission? And the answer is yes. But in the process, they stop being ordinary people. Now that this mission is behind us, there are so many more questions to answer. Inspiration4 sometimes felt like a reality TV show in space. Is that coming next? How long will going to space be so rare and so extraordinary that merely going turns a person into a celebrity? Will all civilian missions require this kind of intense training regimen? Because most people with full-time jobs, let alone families, couldn't pull this off. And further off, if companies take employees to space to work, what questions around labor rights are raised when access to oxygen and all forms of life support are controlled by private entities? When space is someday easily accessible, will it just be a reflection of Earth and its issues? I don't know, as of this taping, who the next all-civilian crew to go to space on a SpaceX rocket will be. But I know they were probably watching this launch the same way Inspiration4 watched the mission before their own. Private civilian spaceflight is here to stay. And now is the moment when we start to truly reckon with what we gain and what we lose because of it. Okay, 
Thanks so much, SpaceX. It was a heck of a ride for us. It's just getting started. Coffee just getting started. This is the end of our season. Thanks for joining me on this ride. For more of my space reporting, subscribe to the Axios Space Newsletter. How It Happened, The Next Astronauts is reported and produced by Amy Padula, Naomi Shaven, Alice Wilder, and me. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer. Mixing, sound design, and music supervision by Alex Sugiura. Original music by Michael Hanf. Fact-checking and research by Jacob Knudsen. Allison Snyder is a managing editor and my editor at Axios. And Sarah Kehalani-Gu is Axios's editor-in-chief. Special thanks to Nyla Boodoo, Jonathan Swan, Kim Shake, Chen Gao, and the Axios Visuals team. And to Axios co-founders Mike Allen, Jim Vandehei, and Roy Schwartz. Thanks to James Gleason from SpaceX, Brian Bianco from BCW, and Scott Kidd-Petit from Inspiration4 for answering my many, many emails and texts. This documentary was a seven-month labor of love for the production team. And we'd like to thank all of our friends and family for their enormous support. Finally, I want to thank Jared Isaacman, Siam Proctor, Chris Zimbrowski, Haley Arsenault, and their families for letting us into their lives. I'm Miriam Kramer. Thank you for listening. <laughs>